Hello, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, I speak with Alex Blake, following on from the podcast we made together back in November 2020, episode 117, for those of you that haven't already listened to it. In this episode, we speak about grant makers and grant seekers, the progress that is being made to bring them together in order to deliver more efficiently and effectively for social change, and also how the pandemic is influencing how these two groups are working together. This episode would have be of particular interest to listeners who work in fundraising or perhaps work for trusts or foundations and are already immersed in the grant-making world. But there are also some universal lessons here for everyone around working collaboratively and clear communication. This episode is brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Charity People. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce once again, friend of the show, Alex Blake. I'm delighted to be joined again by Alex Blake, Director at Kida Consulting. Alex, welcome back to Charity Chat. Thanks, Alan. Great to be back. Thank you very much. So it's been since November, I think, uh, 2020. That was the last time uh, our listeners heard from you on the podcast. Maybe if we can start with, uh, we're talking today about um, the challenges that grant seekers and makers are experiencing. Maybe if we can start with that question, what are those challenges that grant seekers and makers are currently experiencing? There's a, there's a point to make first in terms of um, when we're talking about grant seekers and grant makers, so the term we've been using um, in terms of grant seekers, what we mean is anyone applying for funding. So it, it might be fundraisers or in smaller charities, particularly it, it might be the chief exec or a, a project manager. Mm. And then in terms of grant makers, um, they're, they're the people that are, are distributing funding and providing grant funding to to charities and I think while they're in kind of different positions and face different challenges and opportunities I think it's worth noting that they're coming from the same place in terms of having that kind of shared objective overall Mm. so you know any of us working in this space where we're trying to do our best to to make a positive difference you know what whether it's a in a kind of specific cause or more broadly in the sector, trying to make some kind of positive difference in, in social change or, or whatever kind of issue it might be. And I think, you know, in terms of some of the challenges for grant seekers and grant makers, often it can be couched in a kind of them and us kind of debate. Mm-hmm. So I think it's always useful to remember to, to start from the fact that actually, you know, we do all have that kind of shared goal. And, and in terms of the challenges that we face they all really stem from us working out the best way to achieve that goal it's you know how we can make the biggest difference how we can be most effective in in making a positive change in in people's lives and in society so for for grant makers if you talk about trusts and foundations specifically then they're registered charities themselves as well they have their their own charitable objectives which might be really broad or might be really specific and they you know like charities that deliver services and provide support you know they've got their their goals and the way that they've chosen to achieve them is through providing grant funding to most other charities that are then then kind of delivering the actual work so for grant makers the challenge really is how to get the most out of 
out of that resource. You know, if you've got that pot of money there um, and you've got that invested and you're, you're distributing the income you've got from that, um, you know, how do you how do you make the most of that? You know, what, however much it is you're giving away. Um, let's say if you've got a million pounds to spend per year and you want to make the biggest difference that you can with that, um, you know, what's the best way to do that? Um, and and I, I think for, you know, some, some grant makers will focus in on particular issues and, and focus on a particular niche area or one or two um, areas. Um, and others will be really broad and support lots of different organizations. Um, so there's there's some thinking that has to go into it from their perspective in terms of how do you focus um, what you want to do with that money. Mm. Um, but also, um, so I was thinking about who you reach and how, um, but then also, you know, what, how do you... Um, how do you use that resource effectively in terms of how you give the money away um, and thinking particularly around what the process is uh, if you're going to ask charities to apply to you for those funds, um, what process do you put in place? And uh, I'll come on to the challenges for grant seekers because they're often, they're coming at it from the other angle of how do we apply for that funding and, and get our message across and, and get the funds we need to deliver our work. And I think the majority of funders are really trying to maximise the amount of that money they've got that they actually give away. Mm. So of that million pound a year, they want to give away as close to a million pound as they possibly can. So, you know, that means that they're really looking at having as little internal resource as they can. So, you know, the, the majority of them by number don't have any staff at all. Mm. Some, you know, even, even the really large ones, they tend to operate with a really, really lean staff team. Um, so, you know, they might be giving away five, 10 million pound a year in, in lots and lots of grants and only have, you know, kind of three or four members of staff um, kind of managing that process. Does that mean that they, they then, that's the reason why some of the uh, funders that, certainly I've, I've come in uh, contact with, especially the large funders, they have quite strict guidance and, uh, and processes. Presumably that's to help them to process a big abundance of applications in a kind of a, an efficient way yeah of course so yeah i mean so you know every every decision that they're making really comes from that overall objective of you know we want to have the most impact with the resource we've got available to us so if they're thinking well look you know we we're most interested in projects that have an impact at a national level in a particular area of health, for example, then setting that criteria just means that, you know, they aren't, they're only going to get those applications and any that get received outside of that, they can just straight away put that in the bin because um, it doesn't fit with the guidance. So all, all those decisions are kind of stemming from that point of wanting to make the, the biggest difference they can. And then it kind of leads us on to the, um, to the other side in terms of then, the charities that are delivering that work and, and wanting to get some of that funding to, to resource what they're doing, 
you know, the kind of biggest challenges really when we've been, I mean, from our own experience and then from people we've been speaking to through some research that we've been doing recently, a lot of the challenges really come down to what, what is really seen as kind of poor practice from grant makers. Um, so it's it's the ones that don't really provide any information or clarity on what their criteria is, what their process is for making decisions, um, and, and the kind of lack of any communication. And, and then, you know, with those ones, you, you're completely guessing as to whether you fit with what they're interested in, or if you, you've got no hope whatsoever. And if, it, if they don't give you the guidance mm-hmm. and they don't respond to phone calls and emails, then you know you you can stick something in the post but you've got no idea whether it's of any interest to them so that i I don't you don't tend to see that with the really large funders Mm. um the the larger ones tend to have some resource in terms of staff and they tend to have a website with um some guidance on on what they want to fund and how they're going to assess applications and that kind of thing but the the vast majority of grant makers out there are the ones that have no staff, no website, and, and really lack a lot of that stuff. So that's that's a big challenge for, for people seeking funding because um, there are just so many of them that, that don't get the really, really basic stuff right. I suppose in, in terms of a lot of the larger ones, there's a lot of really good practice and, you know, you can always get better. So there's lots of kind of improving practice as well. Um, and, and then there's lots and lots that are kind of somewhere in the middle where they might have a website that gives a little bit of guidance and there, there might be a, a kind of application form so you, you know what it is that, that they want. But some of those forms and some of that, uh, uh, some of the process is kind of quite poorly designed. Um, so there, there are some issues there. But yeah, I, I have to say for, for a lot of the larger ones and, and certainly those ones, with staff and, and those funders that are really thinking about their practice and and kind of choosing to, while still trying to maximise how much funding they get out the door, also investing in staff to help them to think about, you know, what, what can we do to be most effective to really have an impact on the issues that we care about. Um, and so, you know, setting clearer guidance and, and working with charities in uh, you know in, in ways to better understand the issues and to better understand what they need um which is you know where some of the things we're seeing around kind of more flexible funding more core funding and, and those sorts of things coming through a lot of the challenge is around communication it's around kind of developing those relationships so that we can achieve those shared objectives together Um, and so when there's a lack of communication because you can't talk to most people making those decisions then that's a challenge and when you can talk to them there can be a challenge around that kind of inherent power imbalance that you've got there you know about you know the grant makers having the funding and the grant seekers needing the funding and you know it, it, it being a bit difficult and to kind of have a have a really kind of honest and clear um, discussion about things, um, and, and of course, as, as you mentioned, um, there's just so much competition. You know, and grant makers are so oversubscribed in terms of the applications they receive. You know, of course, a challenge for them is how they manage that. 
and you know you can't have in-depth conversations with every single charity out there that might fit with what you're looking to fund and, and that sort of thing so it's it's an interesting one and I, and I think again to do with communication um often it's it's that kind of lack of understanding about what people want you know it was interesting in in the report that we've just done um the research we've been doing there was a a real kind of paradox that came up there around grant seekers really thinking that the most important thing in getting applications right um was about tailoring it to what the funder wants to hear you know making sure that you clearly align what you're saying with their funding guidance and and that will give you the best chance of success and and i think there's a lot of truth in that but from the from speaking to grant makers from their perspective they they were quite kind of turned off by that and and what they really wanted to hear was what they described as the kind of authentic voice of the communities they're interested in supporting and not wanting that to be kind of changed for each funder based on what the funder's interested in, but to, for charities to kind of say, look, this is the issue in our community. This is what we need to do to make a difference here. Um, and, and, you know, this is this is what you can offer. You can provide funding to help us achieve this. So it's quite interesting, but I think that just comes, comes down again to that kind of slight lack of communication or, or a bit of miscommunication sometimes. It's an imperfect system. That we're, that we're working within that's the interesting thing so i think the reality is if you just send if you work out you know if you write a proposal in your authentic voice and then you send the same thing to every funder out there you're going to be less successful than if you do write it each time for the specific needs and interests of, of each funder you're not changing the need of your community or, or how you're going to address that need um, but you're couching it in terms that, you know, ensures that the funder can understand how that resonates with, with the way that they've articulated what, what they want to fund. I guess it's the, the uh, one of our previous guests, he, he writes in the blog quite regularly about the spray and pray mentality and I guess that what you were referring to there this idea and I'm, I'm I've been guilty of it myself but the sending that one template application to multiple funders also this idea about the kind of the uh, square peg and round hole that actually you know from the grant seekers perspective sometimes it can feel like you know we need to shape the peg to, to fit with the uh, the funder but actually the funder has a bit of give in the uh, the shape of that hole and that actually it's worth having a conversation like anything developing a as good a relationship with the funder as you can to save yourself time in the long run if you can have that conversation then great because you know you might read their guidance and see something and think right well i don't i, I feel like we're on the same page here but but you know we don't we don't quite meet things to the latter mm. let's just give them a call and check and see what they think and, you know, that's a much more effective way of of working than, you know, being forced to kind of go through the detailed application process only to find that it wasn't ever going to be of interest. Mm. Uh, and, you know, there's a, in terms of that kind of spray and pray kind of approach, yes, that's that's going to be less successful. And certainly with the larger funders that have 
very specific guidance and process, then you know just don't ever do it because it's mm. it's it's just a route to failure. Mm. But with all of those grant makers out there that don't have any guidance, they've got no website, they've got no process. All they say is apply in writing, mm. and you know they they might just support you know general charitable causes. They might. Um, narrow it down to some really broad fields like health education and social welfare which you know could incorporate almost anything Um, you know when when you're faced with that what else can you do but do the spray and dry stuff because you you know you you can't do anything specific and tailored when when you're not given anything to respond to and and I suppose when we're talking about grant makers I mean it's a broad church isn't it we're we're, but in this scenario we're, we're really talking about certain types of grant makers aren't we i'm thinking more at the moment around the kind of the trusts and foundations mm-hmm. um who as i say they are registered charities themselves as well um so that analogy around kind of shared objectives works most specifically with them but certainly a lot of the same thing applies with other types of grant funders your your kind of lo- national lottery funders uh, some of the kind of government bodies and, and other types of bodies that distribute grant funding as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it, you know, a lot of this stuff applies to all of them, but of course, government and European grants and so on are, you know, a very different beast in terms of being much more kind of, you know, bureaucratic by their nature. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's, it's different in that way. And I, I suppose it's, it's more difficult to affect change in the way they operate because they've got all of that kind of um, stuff around public money requirements um, to kind of wrestle with as well. And, you know, change in the kind of philanthropic grant making sector is pretty slow and change in government is even slower, isn't it? So, um, you know, I guess that's, that's where it's, it's, I guess it, when we're talking about grant making the most interesting stuff, I think it's fair to say is happening more in the kind of trust and foundations part of the sector and and the lottery funders as well. Um, you know, quite quite a lot of change in the way National Lottery Community Fund particularly operates um, over the last kind of couple of years and, and the way they kind of think about the way they engage with with the organisations that are applying to them. So you, you, at Keeler Consulting, you've put together a report, the Funding Social Change, How Can Grant Seekers and Grant Makers Collaborate to Better Serve Our Communities? How did you, what are the steps that you took to go about compiling this report? Uh, well, it, I suppose it, it started from um, developing our trust fundraising scorecard, um, which is a, an online self-assessment tool. Um, so if you're involved in in seeking grant funding um, you can go on our website and, and take that kind of test and it asks you a, a bunch of questions it's free to take um, doesn't take long at all and then you get you get a score across five categories and you get some advice on where you can make improvements and that sort of thing so we launched that like august of last year um, so i probably mentioned it last time we were on and and i suppose by around march sort of time this year we'd we'd had over 200 responses to that um and it's i mean the tool itself is very much about 
helping people to kind of benchmark how they're doing and to look at where they could improve. Um, and, you know, people have kind of told us about how it's been useful to kind of give them a bit of clarity and to, a bit of reassurance about what they're doing well. And then in terms of those areas where they could improve, um, helping them to put together a plan. Um, and, and people have mentioned, you know, having, having that as an external kind of tool being useful to then take internally to colleagues to say, look, we need to be doing better in these areas. Um, you know, we need to invest more in, in our fundraising. We need to invest more in our learning and evaluation and, and those sorts of things. So we've had a really good response to that. And I, I kind of felt like we're sitting on all this data. You know, it's kind of 200 odd responses to a 40 question survey. So there must be, you know, if we analyse that data, there's got to be some interesting points to kind of pull out of that um, and then to share with people as a, a useful kind of um, set of insights. Um, so that's that's what, what kind of prompted us to think about doing this bit of research. And then we thought that's kind of, it's interesting, it's going to give us some stats and we can, you know, we can draw out some findings. And But what would be really interesting is to also and speak to people and get some of that kind of qualitative context as well and have some conversations with grant seekers. And also, it'd be really interesting to talk to grant makers as well um, and think about, you know, what we could ask them about what their perspective is and, and get their kind of insight as well, which we, you know, we've been doing through our grant making trends webinars over the last kind of year or so as well so that that kind of made us think that we, we should involve them in the process as well so that's really what we did you know we analyzed the data and then we had this series of conversations with a set of specific questions for the report and and then that kind of layered on top of the 50 odd conversations that we'd had across the kind of nine months or so from um you know when people do the scorecard they they can then have a call with us to kind of talk through the results and stuff um, so that all that all fed into the report. So that that was the kind of process, and then really the it, it kind of emerged into more of a an exploration of how we can how you know how we can explore some of the questions that came out of those conversations. Probably more so than the data. There's some interesting data points in there in terms of like benchmark and ROI and that sort of thing. The, the most interesting stuff really comes from those questions where we're, you know, as I mentioned before, that that disparity in what the grant seekers and grant makers felt was most important about funding applications. And then, you know, we asked about some of the challenges and we asked grant makers what that question that, that from the title, you know, how can how can we collaborate to better serve our communities? That's the that's a bit of it really for me that came that, that's most interesting. It's it's how we could potentially explore ways to improve that funding system. Mm. You know what? And, and there are you know there are alternative models out there, and there are people doing different things with participatory grant making, for example, and, and different models. But I think from the report, it's about using that as an as an opportunity now to explore that further try and bring more people into the conversation um and and come up with with some different ways of doing things and and see what we can see what we can achieve rather than kind of drawing conclusions and and, and that kind of thing so the you know the report ends with that kind of invitation for for next steps And 
I guess we've seen over the last, well, throughout the pandemic, really, we've seen grant makers collaborating together. We've seen grant makers collaborating very well with grant seekers and, and charities and, and uh, trust working really collaboratively to address increased need in a lot of cases. Um, but there's, there does still seem to, and from what you've been saying, there, there is still a, a gap. What, what insights does the report provide and how could these insights support charities and grant makers in bridging that gap? And ultimately affecting, uh, I suppose, greater progressive societal change. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned the the kind of changes in the way grant makers have worked during the pandemic, because um, there's a, there's been a, you know a, a lot of positive change there, um, and it's I think um, Sophina Ahmed from the John Elliman Foundation um, was speaking at one of our events recently. And she had a really nice phrase. It was, I can remember it correctly. It was about that kind of emergency situation, giving us the opportunity to reimagine the art of the possible, I think was the, was the term. And it, it, it is, I think it's, you know, that, that kind of shock to the system mm. in so many ways, it, it kind of gave all of us that, kind of opportunity to to reflect and and think about what we can do differently and and even if it was because we had no choice to kind of embrace change a bit more and experiment a bit more and and you know look at look at different ways of doing things um so i think the yeah certainly in the grant making space as you say there's a lot more collaboration a lot of changes in terms of um you know easier application processes quicker decisions being made probably kind of being less kind of risk averse and you know as, as a few grant makers have said you know we we did all this stuff differently and you know well i think it was it might have been someone at ivar said you know we did all these changes happened and the world didn't implode mm. you know nothing terrible happened we got grants out and you know the risks didn't kind of materialize so um, you know why did it take this for us to do things differently mm. um so i think it's I think that gives us an interesting opportunity to try and um, kind of build on that momentum. People like Ivar are doing this with their Flexible Funders Initiative, uh, you know, to, to not just go back to normal, just go back to the way things are, but um, to think about how we can do things better rather than just going back to the way they were before. But to, to answer your question, you, you asked about insights from the report. So I think, uh, yeah, some of the key things I think I've picked up on before about the kind of communication being key and that everyone wants there to be better lines of communication and more effective relationships. But there isn't always a kind of consensus or clarity on, on what that actually looks like, aside from kind of getting some of the basics right. Um, it's it's how do you how do you facilitate that? And as I said, for for grant makers, the challenge is how you resource that because, you know, with a very small staff team, you, you know, you just can't speak to everyone and you have, have those conversations that, that would be really helpful. There was, there was that kind of divergence in thinking when it comes to, you know, what what's the most important thing for applications. That was a really interesting point. There was another really interesting point in there about um, it was 94% of respondents on the scorecard believed that they weren't maximizing their grant funding potential. So I know, I know as fundraisers, we're always kind of optimistic, but that, that kind of feels like, you know, 
I mean, any and any single one of them, maybe that, that might be true for, mm. but it can't be true at, at the kind of wider level because, you know, and, and a couple of the people from grant makers we spoke to kind of picked up on that, you know, with finite funding, it, you know, it's not going to be the case that everyone can keep increasing the amount of um, grant funding they secure. So it was quite an interesting kind of point that jumped out and, and probably the, the most kind of stark statistic in there um, being, being such a high figure from the insights i think it's what's most interesting to me is is the opportunity that we have to explore how we might fund social change more effectively and i think with collaboration and co-production potentially being a really important part of that um, so by co-production i mean potentially bringing together um grant makers grant seekers as in the the charities that are providing services that provide and support to address issues and bringing together with um with the people that are affected by those issues mm. so it's you know it's it's the charity it's the community they serve and it's the grant maker coming together around an issue and and working out what the what the most effective response is um, and of course, the grant makers part in that is about resourcing it with funding, but it's mm. it's about having a different process um, about how how you go about kind of reaching that point um, and hopefully making that a more effective outcome um, for that community and for the charity and for the grant maker in, in terms of achieving those shared objectives. <laughs> I was speaking to Eliza Buckley from um, from Ivar, and she was saying, you know, it's really interesting. There's a lot of stuff that's coming through that uh, sits alongside what what they're working on in terms of speaking to grant makers about more flexible funding and speaking to charity leaders about their experiences. And and what's coming through in our work and theirs is that all all of the suggestions are really really kind of incremental improvements. Uh, you know, it's kind of we want a you know a clearer application form where you can see all the questions in advance and things like that but there's nothing that's like a completely radical you know do something completely differently so the the second question that we're interested in is can we envision a radical alternative to the current system you know as opposed to just making those incremental improvements because you know continuous improvement is vitally important you know in, in everything that we do um so there's there's loads of great stuff that we can do in terms of just improving some of those kind of systems and processes but is there some completely different approach that we can try as well that might be much more effective um at, at least in terms of um certain issues certain, certain places where we can we can um create a more effective funding system what we want to do next is about bringing people together we're holding an event on the 14th of july um it's free and open to bookings people can get on the website they can um, read the report and get booked onto that and that's where we want to explore those questions um and from that event then come up with a brief paper to share in some of those ideas and potentially some proposals about what those alternative options might look like and then share that with grant makers that are interested in these questions that are interested in trying different things um and you know hopefully that that begins a, a process of 
taking that conversation forward, maybe piloting some different different ways of doing things and, and learning from that and sharing that learning. Um, so continuing to kind of feed that insight into the sector, share that learning. Um, and, it, you know, again, coming back to those shared objectives, making that making a difference and, and making those improvements. Well, we know, we know we've got funders listening to this podcast, as well as a lot of grant seekers too. So it'd be great to follow that journey with you. And, and maybe we can, uh, we can share that, uh, those learnings again um, after that process. Yeah. Maybe our, our listeners will be joining you on the 14th of July, which would be great. Yeah, that'd be great. So in terms of the, uh, obviously our listeners, of, of uh, our regular listeners will have uh, remembered hearing from you back in November last year. So I suppose it's been about seven months since we last spoke. What's the, that seven months been like for you and the work you're doing with charities and grant makers? Has anything changed over that last seven months? Obviously, you've been busy with all of, all of this, but have you seen any noticeable changes over those seven months with, with grant makers and grant seekers? For us, in terms of what, what we've been doing differently, it's, it's maybe a, a change over slightly longer than the seven months, but certainly over the kind of last year or so, as I say, that COVID impact kind of making us all sit back and reflect on on what we're doing and how we're doing it. I think for us last year or so in, in many ways it's been about doing more of what we do well and keeping that focus. So for us that means helping our clients to secure grant funding or helping them to make well-informed strategic decisions um, and then thinking as well about how we can add value to the sector beyond that one-to-one work that we do with clients um, and that's where we've we've probably done things a bit differently and, and tried a new, few new things during the yeah during the pandemic so i mentioned a couple of it i mentioned obviously the developing the scorecard was back in august and then over the last few months pulling together the report that kind of stems from that but has, has kind of emerged into something uh something a bit broader we've we've developed a training program as well and like everyone else doing things online doing things virtually we've always delivered a lot of our one-to-one work remotely anyway so that that wasn't kind of too big a shift but we've we developed a um, five module training program on trust fundraising uh, which my colleague amy delivers um, which has been really popular so we developed that and run the first one last october uh, run it again just recently in april so i think that 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 will become something we run twice a year now um, so that's been really good that kind of covers like how to do trust fundraising across five key areas, just like the five areas that come through the scorecard. Um, so it's really good as a kind of overall program. Um, and, and we're now looking at developing other training products on more specific topics. Um, so our colleague Nikki did one just um, last month, or actually beginning of this month, on impact and evaluation. Um, we're looking at doing one later in the year, um, which will be around writing with authenticity. So thinking about um, how you how you demonstrate the needs of your community and, and how you're working together to, to affect change and, and some of those kind of topics. And then uh, the other thing that we've done is to do our grant making trends webinars. Where we've had some really great guest speakers, um, generally people who work in grant making organisations or, or in that part of the sector. So that, that's been really useful. So that that kind of 
online delivery format has kind of worked really well for us actually in terms of having a, a kind of wider reach and, and being able to kind of bring people together in a way that we couldn't couldn't necessarily do to the same extent uh, with physical events um, which we'd kind of done a bit of in the, the year before. So yeah I think we'll, we'll definitely be continuing to offer more of those kind of free events and resources, develop some more of those training programs, kind of looking ahead already to what we might do in 2022 and where, where else we might be able to add some more value for people. For our listeners, presumably they can find all of this on your website and, and they can subscribe to your, your, your blogs and e-newses and things like that? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, in terms of how people can engage with us, um, certainly the, the website's the first place to go and find out a bit more, kedaconsulting.co.uk, and it, it's quite a clear, simple website. I'm trying to not put too much stuff on. We're trying to put lots on there but without it being kind of cluttered so i mean yeah you know people can obviously engage with us in terms of um our client work and working with us one-to-one mm-hmm. benefiting from our strategic consulting or our trust fundraising support there's the training programs that i mentioned and then there's the free resources and events things like the scorecard those webinars and the new report so in our insight section as a report, there's also various kind of articles and guides. So there's there's all that kind of stuff that people can search around for on the website. In the training and events section is where they'll find that, that event we're holding on the 14th of July, which follows on from the report and explores those, those kind of questions around how we might be able to improve those kind of funding systems and, and potentially look at alternative ways of, of achieving um, social change, bringing together grant makers, grant seekers, communities that, that are in need of, of that kind of change. And we're, we're, we're doing something a little bit different in terms of the event as well. All of our, all of our kind of webinars are free. And this event's free as well. And this time, for the first time, we're just asking if people would make a donation to a cause that we're supporting. Um, it's not a not a client, not someone that we're you know we're working with in that way, but just a cause that we've chosen to support. So people will be able to see that on the on the event page as well. Alex Blake, thank you for joining us again, contributing again to Charity Chat. No problem. Thanks for the thanks for the chat, Sam. Great to talk to you as always. big thank you to Alex Blake for contributing again to Charity Chat. We covered a fair bit of ground and I do hope that you've been inspired by the busy world of grant making and reminded of the great impact that the charity sector is having on the world around us. For many of us working, volunteering or funding the charity sector's vital work, we will be well aware of the challenges of resource or lack thereof. As Alex said, this is on both sides of the grant-making relationship, with charities aiming to make the most of their resource through tailoring or mass-producing funding applications, and for grant-givers, a similar position of a small team to manage the increasing volume of applications. In both cases, the clarity of the mission, vision and criteria of the organisation, the project it is seeking to fund and the beneficiaries it is seeking to help 
is key in measuring expectations and focusing the resource on both sides efficiently. It strikes me that in an ideal world, or at least one step down from an ideal world where charities and grant givers are still needed, the optimum scenario would be for grant seekers and grant givers to have a very effective way of saying what they want to do and how they want to do it, and for each party to find their match or matches as efficiently as possible. In some cases, it is possible to get to know each other a little bit before making your ask, but in most cases, this just isn't possible. And this scenario leads potentially to wasted time on both sides, with grant seekers blasting out many applications to those who receive them as part of an abundant pile that they struggle to give a fair reading to. Of course, some grant funders or grant givers are deliberately giving, uh, sorry, or Of course, some grant funders are deliberate in their willingness to remain flexible and open to new ideas from grant seekers on how their funds could lead to the betterment of society. In these cases, it is the grant seekers' ability to express their vision, their mission and their project goals to capture the imagination and enthusiasm of the grant giver. Alex talked about co-production as a good way of bringing together grant makers and grant seekers with the people that are affected by the issues they both seek to address. With the freeing up of resource through more efficient and effective grant seeking and grant making, this resource could then be used to build deeper and more meaningful relationships, which then go on to deliver more effective projects for progressive societal change. We spoke about Keda Consulting's scorecard, which I've used myself. It's a useful tool, it's free to use, and can really help to focus the mind on your trust and foundation work while receiving some useful tips and tweaks to your approach. You can find more about this on the link on our website. In my view, Keda Consulting is genuinely seeking to improve current grant funding practices. Alex and his team are doing valuable work in drawing together grant seekers and grant makers to help evolve the best practice process of grant making. We will continue to follow and report on this. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear from you either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, Charity People, for enabling us to share insights, expertise and best practice across the sector. Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for our beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk and Saeed Dejani for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from me. Keep on doing what you can. Cheerio. Bye-bye.